does your role, like how does your role make a significant difference to how the company performs, to how the team performs, to the ultimate goal? Like you want to know that the position that you do, the work that you do every day is significant to progressing the business forward. So really helping people to understand the why behind their role. And this is great, especially working with um, any size team. How do you get? 10,000 people to take a step to the left. What's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion? Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are just some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast with Ordinary Don't Belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. On today's episode is an award-winning culture coach, the uncorporate speaker and a consultant who focuses on unlocking a team's potential by instilling happiness as the greatest hack to productivity. Despite being told 10 times that she couldn't work for a company because she was a woman, she overcome that opportunity and became the general manager of a recruitment company in less than two years, building a team of five to over 50. Our guest values-led approach to business led her to start her own recruitment consultancy, Velocity Consulting, which she grew into a successful company Her success caught the attention of the Entourage Growth Fund, who approached her to invest on the back of their mission to become the world's largest enabler of humans that are happy at work. I'm privileged to speak with one of Startup Daily's top 50 most influential women, a certified master trainer with the hashtag RippleMaker, and someone who is always on the move. Jade Green. Jade, welcome to the show. Oh wow. Well, thank you so much for having me, Craig. You've done you've done some digging into my background. <laughs> <laughs> ah, beautiful. So I can see you're you're there on the beautiful Tweed Coast right now, but I'd love to know where did you grow up and what was the big dream when you were running around the playground? Uh, I'm never growing up. That's that that's just not for me. No. But where I was as a miniature human? Uh, yeah, when I was a, a smaller human than what I am right now, I grew up in a trailer park in a place called Alstonville, which is between Ballina and Lismore uh, for the first nine years. And then we graduated from the trailer park uh, to a trailer at the back of a home uh, in the epic Evans Head. So very small little surfy town um, just between Ballina and Yamba, Iluka. And yeah, I was very blessed to live in a really Aussie, like quintessential town that you could run amok and just go surfing all day and, you know, go home when the lights turned on rather than having to, you know, be too protected. Um, I had a couple of things when I was growing up or running around the playground. 
I was a real tomboy uh, as a as a kid. I had often had a shaved head uh, or a crew cut. I'd be driving my uh, remote control cars and playing Lego. But also at the same time, I wanted to be a wedding dress designer. Uh, I was just telling you a little story about designing weddings. Um, so I had this real juxtaposition of what I wanted to do. Um, but my main memory was being a wanting to grow up and be some sort of fashion designer. Ah, I love that, being a fashion designer. But, uh, you know, growing up in a very simple life where, you know, you just had the bare basics, I would imagine, and having that freedom to go surfing and having a lot of fun, what did you learn from that that has really um, held through your test through the test of time in, in your entire life so far? Yeah, beautiful. So I lived with my dad was a single dad um, from the time that I was nine. I said to him, "I'm living with you, or I'm living on the street. You got two choices." Uh, he opted to take me, and then we got uh, custody of my two sisters uh, a few years later. So from just over. Well, just before I was 14, I was the legal signatory for too many humans uh, and got to to bring them up. So it kind of, I had this freedom of being able to kind of do whatever I wanted, go surfing, sign my own school notes because I went to a kinder to year 12 school. So being the legal signatory meant I could sign my own notes, um, but also a bit of responsibility. And I, I started working uh, really early. So I, like when I was in year 11 and 12, I had multiple jobs on the go. I was an, a nanny five days a week for a two-year-old and a five-year-old after school. So from some knockoff, like four o'clock till midnight, I'd nanny. One day a week, I'd work in their Chinese restaurant as well. I was also a short order cook at the kiosk and on school holidays, I made the school uniforms in a, in a factory. Uh, <laughs> and then I was also a, a lifeguard instructor. So I always had lots of things on the go. So what I think that really taught me back then was that I don't need to conform. Uh, I don't need to play by the rules. I definitely got work ethic, but I also ha always had this sense of, uh, I say empowerment. Like I say I, I bought my first home at 15 because I was able to get a loan for my caravan <laughs> <laughs> based on the fact that I got Oz study and had a and had jobs and could pay for it. So this it was kind of like that um, self reliance belief. Um, no one said no to me really. Like it wasn't like well, some, plenty, sorry, plenty of people said no to me. I said I don't care. Uh, so yeah, I think all of that just layered. And because my dad was he was a bit of a very an easy spirit, and you know, not always. Present, it, uh, yeah, it allowed us to form our own personalities. It's a, it's a really interesting, you know, sort of environment to grow up in. And, you know, you talk about a lot of freedom there, but you're also very responsible but ve and very, very driven in making sure that uh, you keep yourself busy, but also starting that career so early. Uh, I think it's fantastic. And I think we see a lot of people who kind of cruise through the early parts of life and, they are not really tested that much. And so they, mm. they think everything is going to be easy in life, but you've just, you took the ball by the horn, so to speak, and, <laughs> uh, and rode it <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> you know, through that time to take responsibility when maybe not everyone around you was as responsible. So that's a huge uh, burden in a way, but that it seems like you took it all in your stride. 
Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh, now, nowadays we go back to the hometown. Everyone's like, how did you guys, how did you three end up so normal? <laughs> to me, they're specifically like, how did you end up so normal? I'm like, it depends on your version of normal, right? But it's, um, I, I think your past does not define you, but you can utilize your lessons and the blessings from from what you had and it's you you can choose to look at it I have other people in the same situation that look at it as like victim mentality and you know so hard and these are my excuses for why I didn't do xyz or why my behaviors blah blah or why I'm an addict to this I choose to look at it as character building and going everything that I I did then like I wouldn't I wouldn't change a thing that happened to me I'd change how it affected my sisters and some of the things the the emotional pain they went through but I wouldn't change what happened to me because it's given me everything that I've got now and the gratitude that I have and the zest for life that I have now. Mm, and you've got, you've got spades of that. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, one of the you know interesting things that I have observed over time is that most of the really, truly, um, highly successful people in this world have always got something that is fueling the fire in their belly, right? So there's a level of... They've got a high level of confidence that, you know what, I can do this. I can back myself no matter what. I'm going to be okay and, and I'm going to achieve something. But there's also some sort of not so much always an insecurity, but there is something from maybe mm. the early years that just drives and to say, you know what, I'm going to be a better human or I'm going to prove them wrong. And so yeah. I can kind of see that in you. You've got this real drive there. Um, but obviously seeing your sister, uh, seeing your siblings, you know, not being able to channel the energy in the same way was you how did you cope with that uh it's more how do i how do i cope with that mm. uh it's slightly different than they're a fair bit younger than me one of one of them they're very different as well totally different lenses uh one has really she really goes work day upon the work and like how she's evolved and how she reflects on things is again a different lens to how the other one does and i've got a couple of other siblings running around as well so for me now it's more uh, the coping when we say that and this is when dealing with anyone it's like it's more being accepting that everybody's struggle is their own struggle and everyone do you know what I mean that it's nobody's version of trauma or how they process something is the same and being it for me so it's about that acceptance of understanding why people look at things differently even if they were at the same situation we get this in just general life right like you, someone sees a car accident and someone recalls something different to what they did and it's what's important to them and just being so my my coping is more about being understanding and accepting that all of us are different and we all have different triggers and we all have different emotions and we all have different points of view and different things that are important to you and then and not judging someone based mm. on their experience of something even though you choose to look at something differently and I think that's a, a lesson for a lot of leaders to to really sit into like if we can put ourselves into the shoes of another person and take our own perspective and our own lens off it and go okay look, if I had that personality type if I was at that age if I had this this and if it, this was important to me and my love language was that and x y and z oh Maybe I would look at things differently. Okay, let me just try and see it from their perspective without judgment and attachment. And how how then can we 
support each other or get in on each other's page rather than uh, combating or judging. Mm. The understanding and accepting, it's, it's really important, but it's also, you know, it can be a challenge when you're under pressure, when, <laughs> when you're dealing with lots of things in life as well, or you're dealing with multiple people at one time. I think it's one of the biggest challenges mm. as a leader um, to not only just be understanding and accepting, but then how do you respond in those situations too? Because we all, you know, every, there's, there's a huge talk about cr- being inclusive leaders, but what is that? Because mm. we can never create a, a fully inclusive world. We, we will not. It will not happen. But we can be more inclusive and reduce the amount of times that we can exclude people. And, and that's our goal. Like there's Because every time you include someone for whatever reason, subconsciously or indirectly, you may exclude someone else. And so it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a great challenge for, uh, for leaders in our world. Um, I don't think it's, it's been any different than previous, but now it's more, uh, I suppose, out in the open that we need to be more inclusive focused and people aren't just going to yeah. do what you tell them to. Yeah, we need to move on to the industrialized uh, concept, concepts of like, just go in and sit at your machine and do as you're damn told and don't talk and don't have emotions and punch the clock and see you later. Yeah. Well, that's that what's happening, right? With with all the technology <laughs> and artificial intelligence, it's, it's kind of like that, right? It has yeah. no, it knows, has no human characteristics. Um, but, yeah. but but that does create great opportunities for the future. As you know, you know, it looks like you had a very. Uh, when you looked at your jobs, you you were able to move through different types of jobs and really enjoy the experience and the exposure you had. But knew you're always looking for something else in your life. Uh, so what, when, when you got to a point where you kind of left home and you're now traveling around Australia, uh, what kind of drew you to Darwin of all places in Australia? Darwin. Yes. You've got to pronounce it correctly. Darwin. Uh, so the lady I was living with at the time, uh, Evan said she had lived in Darwin and worked in the chief minister's office and, um, she loved Darwin and thought. You know, she wanted to go back and I was turning 21 and I thought that I wanted to go travelling around Australia uh, and, you know, get out there and, and see the world a little bit. So I thought I'd go to Darwin with her. I'd learn to be a barmaid because if I could be a barmaid, I could travel and work anywhere. Yep. And uh, I would start there. So we drove three days straight, sleeping only a couple of hours uh, on the road to get to the big smoke for my 21st birthday. <laughs> Mm, it's not so much the big smoke. <laughs> <laughs> it looked a lot like Lismore. Uh, yeah, so it was just, it was meant to be a starting point. Um, but uh, four and a half years later, I had uh, two businesses, up to 52 contractors at a time. Uh, I also worked for a company uh, and owned a house and <laughs> I didn't do any traveling. <laughs> One of my sisters came to live with me and I was putting her through uh, year 10, 11, 12. Uh, yeah. So we didn't quite get to the travel. What a journey. So so where did you find that entrepreneur? Like obviously you've been quite entrepreneurial since you're young, but but that that mindset shift into now I want to own my own businesses, be an entrepreneur, I want to hire staff, I want to be a leader of people. Completely by accident. I was working in a bar on, I think, day two of being in Darwin and a lady walked in and said to me, would you like to work at the V8 supercars? And I'm like, I like cars. We didn't have one of those for a lot of the time I grew up. Um, Sounds great. 
And she said, do you have any friends? And I was like, my brain, I'm like, I just got here yesterday. I'm like, but you just walked in and asked me if I want to work for you. I'll just walk the rest of the bloody street and ask every other barmaid. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm like, no, but I can make friends. Um, So I did that. And then just before the event was coming to town, the uniforms didn't arrive. And I used to make uniforms. They were school uniforms. And I wanted to be a dressmaker. And I had my sewing machines in the back of my wagon to travel around Australia. So I'm like, I can whip us up a couple of uh, skirts with some checkered flags on the butt. That will look like a supercar uniform, grid girls and all. (laughs) And, yeah, fast forward uh, four and a half years, I inherited a dressmaking business from the lady I used to buy all the fabric off of and uh, used to sew the pockets on polo shirts and uniforms for the embroidery shop. I made all sorts of uniforms for all my promo girls and, yeah, had ended up with the 52 52 friends it's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant I, I love it I love that spirit when many companies struggle to get past year two of the business uh, w- what is it that you learn in your journey of owning your own businesses and you know especially where you're employing other people mm-hmm. that that is required to have that tenacity and drive to be successful as an entrepreneur hmm did I learn I think the thing for me was I was I'm always curious and always looking into how to be a better leader how to be a business better business person like I was always picking up books like I think when I first started in recruitment the training manual sucked uh with all love uh so I read e-myth and I'm like I'm gonna e-myth this and like that was the very first business book and then I read like the one minute manager and so I think it was for me that the curiosity and application and the zest comes from like seeing how it transforms the people. Like, so how you can learn something and how you can give a gift of knowledge to somebody else and how you can see them grow and up level and achieve their goals and how what you're like, you're not just giving them a paycheck, like how else you can enrich their lives. And, and that's what really drives me. It's like, okay. I'm not going to just coach you on, you know, making your hundred cold calls today. Like what else is going to help you as a human being? And that I think that's always just given me that zest to constantly push and constantly grow. And I don't know if that answers the question. That answers the question. No, it's good. It's good. I like that. And I, I think it's important that we create that curious mind to think, you know, how can we do this better? How, what is another way of doing this? And I think a lot of, people become entrepreneurs not by choice they they kind of stumble into it in a way and they're kind of learning mm-hmm. as they go and you need that curious mindset because as much as people tell you there are playbooks out there i don't think there are there is no rule book when it comes to entrepreneurship you can make it up as you go along and you can create your own journey it just requires that real zest for you know learning and that that real drive to make things happen and you can do anything mm. which i think is fascinating but dealing with people, obviously you got to deal with human beings. And so what is it about the, what, the way you were, I suppose, working with the people inside your company when you were young, when you were younger to where you, what you're seeing the world right now in regards to the way we need to approach, um, our people, um, mm-hmm. as being the most important priority of an organization or company. 
So I think for me, I've always kind of had the same mentality. What I was talking about before in terms of like how else do I enrich them in general? I just have always had this natural knack of diving deep into who they were and connecting with the human being. And I'd say that there was probably some of my previous uh, employers, like when I ran other recruitment companies, that maybe thought that, you know, you don't, you shouldn't be friends with the staff and like what's the line between friend and that. But for me it was about how can I, if I, if I don't really know what makes this person tick, how can I unlock their potential? Right. I can flog them a certain way, a carrot and a stick, right? Like we can, mm. I can sit down and do a morning meeting with someone every goddamn day and bollocks them for not making their hundred cold calls and their two and a half hours outbound talk time. And, you know, that's going to get so far for so long. And then you're just going to be flogging a dead horse if you haven't figured out what the real intrinsic motivator is. Like mm. if I can't tie like the commission, like if, it's not enough to go, hey, mate, you make a shit ton of commission by making these sales. But if, if I don't know why they want commission or even if commission drives them, then how am I really going to push them to, to consistently perform? Mm. And so I think that that was kind of my natural thing then. I was like, I could understand I, some of my guys, they weren't driven by commission. They, they, they was just screaming for significance and all they wanted to be was number one or they just wanted their pat on the back. They wanted their name on the leaderboard like, so I wouldn't talk to them about their comms. I'd talk to them about that, about how do we get them there. Um, and so I, so how that applies to today's day and age is I think that a lot of leaders and a lot of managers still think that we can just performance manage based on metrics, lead and lag measures, and that, you know, money should make them, money is the main thing and that's what's going to make them happy. And, you know, I asked them how their kids were and you say, what's their kid's name? I don't know, they got like two, maybe this big, whatever. Like, no, mate. So I think the 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 shift now, and especially more with distributed teams, more with leaning on AI and everything, you've got to put the human back in your human resources, right? This is where businesses start to excel. Like, I'm sick of talking to a damn chat bot. Like, if I can actually speak to a human in a in a customer as a customer. I feel more value and I think that this is a huge opportunity for organisations to go, okay, where can we leverage technology to do the stuff that we don't need humans for so that we can out use our humans for only what the humans can do? Mm. But that requires you as a leader to know your humans. And so I think that that's the skill that people need to have, real empathy, real care, re real wanting to get to know them, like know the kid's name, know the partner's name, know how old they are, know what their hobbies are, know why they get up every day and come to damn work. Yeah, we have to go past the position to the person is, is such an important thing as a leader these days. And But we do have a bigger challenge. Uh, as you, know, you started to talk about a bit of things like chatbots and things like that as the world becomes a bit more technology focused year in year out or even day in day out as it as it's constantly evolving right now in regards to the shift to more flexible remote working what are some strategies that leaders can take to ensure they get to know their employees a lot better because the water cooler conversations in some organizations may not be there anymore or, or the, yeah. the traditional water cooler moments yep so i've had three team meetings this morning uh, already. 
So different because I uh, I lead a couple of teams for clients and that, and we always start with like what's going on with them for a person. So I know that one of our guys was going away for the weekend and he was going camping and hiking. And so the first question I asked was like, did you get wet on the weekend? How's your legs from the hiking? What's going on? Like, and he's like, no, actually didn't, didn't use the legs, sat around the fire. Like it was great. And I was like, knowing them, like, or I know if he's going out on his Ducati on the weekend and like if someone's got their daughter coming over. And so we start with some of those human connections. I, I always make note for myself what's important to them. We got to know that stuff. They were really hard uh, eggs to crack because mm. they, the, a couple of our people on our multiple teams are introverted personalities and they've come, they're, they've come from a generation where they've never been asked this stuff at work and it feels weird and awkward and they don't feel it's appropriate to share their personal life. And so we use questions and cards and I use. I don't have my icebreaker deck on me at the minute. I, sometimes I've just been using this with one of my coaching groups. Um, and we will draw cards out and ask questions like, if you could run your country for a day, what is one change you'd like to make? And then everybody answers, including myself. And we start to hear who they are as humans. Like, you know, where would you want to go on a holiday and why? Like, What's one thing you, what's one hobby that you used to do that you didn't, you don't do anymore? Do you know what I mean? And just over time, by starting every meeting with a little get to know you, you start to uncover the personality traits. And then the next level from that would be making sure you do your one-on-ones. Mm. I, I see a lot of people struggle with this because they're so used to, we've got to keep moving. We've got to be productive every single minute of the time. And I think we're seeing, you know, with some advancements in technology where some companies are taking productivity tools and performance tools way too far. Um, yeah. I, I kind of cringe personally when I see a company wanting people to write down, um, like log every minute literally of the day. What are you doing for tasks? And I, yeah, I'm not sure if that's the best use of people's time to begin with, but it also as you mentioned before about significance, significance is can be lots of different things to lots of different people. So yes, that might cater to maybe 5% of, of humanity that mm. love that. But what about the other 95% that find significance in a different way? Mm. And so I suppose this leads to a question too. What, are ty- what, what do you find uh, different types of significance that you see commonly amongst people when you're working with in teams that leaders can take on board and kind of start to look for? Yeah, okay, beautiful. So when it comes to significance, I want want people to think about like there's a couple of different layers. Like does your role, like how does your role make a significant difference to how the company performs, to how the team performs, to the ultimate goal? Like you want to know that the position that you do, the work that you do every day is significant to progressing the business forward. So really helping people to understand the why behind their role. And this is great, especially working with um, any size team. But, you know, there used to be this thing like, oh, that's just that they're just admin, right? That doesn't, an, an admin would think that they're not as important as say the salespeople because they're the one on the cold face. But I like to help people understand that you so we we often use uh in one of my clients businesses the admin team is the hurdle clearers 
the purpose of their job, the reason why they their role exists is to clear the hurdles to allow the trainers to be able to turn up and be the best damn trainer every single day. And if they turn up and they don't have the workbooks printed and, you know, the students haven't been enrolled properly and the, and the workshop room's a disaster and the internet's not working and, you know, all of these things, they can't, they can't shine. Mm. So imagine how now important and empowered and significant the person who used to think they're just admin, and this comes from someone saying they were just admin, us creating this, going, oh, no, actually, I clear the hurdles. I, I set them up. And then when we go to the trainers, it's like, no, you guys are the ripple creators for safety in tradespeople. Cool. Now their role's significant. They're not just teaching someone skills on pressure and valves and not blowing their faces off, but they're actually being a ripple effect and they're, they're significant on a bigger picture. So now they're more empowered. So really being able to look at each role within your business and talk to them about the significance of that and the knock-on effect of it being done well and not done well empowers someone to step up. You want to make them feel significant as a human being, as who they are. And this comes back to a bit of the inclusion side of things and, and the individuality and, you know, like the things I talked about, knowing their actual, like what's important. Like if they have a they have a dog instead of a kid, what's the damn dog's name, right? If they like the footy, which team, right? The getting Getting to them to know that you care about who they are as a human being. And then just letting them know like how significant the work they have done, like this, their achievements are towards pushing the vision forward. Mm, I like that. It's really good. With culture is always evolving inside organizations. And we, to some extent, you, you need leaders to kind of establish the, or, or to kind of, mold the culture in a way but human beings are going to take it where they want to and when we look at culture inside an organization how can we how can we ensure that the culture is being worked on from from above and below and so that it collectively yeah. grows in the right direction yeah i love to reference um ben horace's book uh what you do is who you are so what you do as behaviors, as a leader, is who your culture is, who your people become, right? So it's it's got to start from the top down, mm. but it's not a top-down leadership. It's not a do as I say, not as I do. It's a modeling. You need to model the behaviors you want to have reflected back, which means you need to be able to state with clarity and certainty how we roll. So when we have a value, it's not a bullshit word on a wall, that marketing put up or someone thought up that sounds sexy on our websites to clients, it's actually like how do we live the value of, we'll use integrity because everyone uses that one, right? All right. What does that mean? Well, if we're in integrity, we if someone asks us how we're feeling today, we don't say fine. We say, actually, I was up all night with the kids. I'm feeling a little flat. It's a me thing, not a you thing. But that's where I'm at. Don't worry. I'm going to bounce back though, right? That's being honest with our answers. It's integrity with our answers. If we're going to miss a deadline, it's it's having integrity to go and say to whoever is in next in line for that task, hey, my deadline's blowing out. I'm not going to hit it or I'm going to be a struggle. And that's what integrity means to us. It means when a client asks us something, it's X. So it's showing our team 
the behaviors so then they can do it from the bottom up because they know how to live into it and what it actually means rather than a concept. Like what's the actions behind that word? Mm, very good. I, I like to, you know, I've really shifted away from the the values because I think it can be subconsciously taken in, in the wrong way because we all have our own values. And so to try and oh. connect someone with some words on a wall at, at a company values is always going to be a challenge. Uh, so one of the things you are my people. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things we love doing is using three word mantras that actually explain the behavior that we are looking for and that we hold each other accountable for. Like one of ours is nurturing rising talent, and so we are. Oh. That is, it doesn't matter who you are in the organization. You're always nurturing someone, and you allow yourself to be nurtured as a rising talent. So, I, I think. Oh. I think if people can kind of look at ways that we can easily describe something or remember something, we're more likely to actually uh, hold to that behavior long-term. If it's too abstract or it's, as you say, a word on the wall, it's very difficult to people to understand what does integrity actually mean in our organization? Yeah. What behavior are we supposed to live by to be uh, to have integrity? Because it could mean many different things um, in that sense. So your work are really looking at how we can have humans that are more happy in the workspace. <laughs> That's interesting work mm-hmm. that you do um, mm-hmm. is really important. And like we've seen a lot of studies come out around happiness over the recent years. And it's sort of coming to, it's, it's probably been one of the most important things that people have looked for over the last couple of years as we got kind of disrupted through COVID times. In regards to happiness, what does that now look like for organizations in regards to how they can support that with their employees and team? Yeah, beautiful. So I want to just preface this conversation with why why happiness, right? There is all the studies and there's like linked to engagement and everything. For me, the reason why I say happiness is the greatest hack to productivity and profitability is because the state of happiness means that we are here now, right? Mm. So if if we, we it, you can't be happy when you are ruminating on thoughts of the fast, depressive, like, and circling and, and like, fully wrapped up in things that were over here behind us, right? Or that our brain has rushed off in anxiety land into, oh, shit, what could happen in the future? And, like, we're freaking out about consequences or future things, right? If we're in either of those states, we our brains are there, we're not happy. Mm-hmm. When we're happy, we're actually here now in the present moment. And if you want your people to be productive and therefore profitable, you need them to to be here now and be able to focus, right? So this is why I say it's the bait and switch. This is why it's really uh, beneficial to an employer to look at how do we do that, right? But we also know that that state unlocks flow state. Hmm. So if we then look at, you need to look at, How do you get to happiness? What are some of the elements that lead us there? That's like the pinnacle, like the marker. Not everyone's going to be happy all the time. It's something you strive for. But we know that once we've got that and the ego can dissolve and we're in that safe space, then flow state unlocks and everything unlocks. So for a leader, we need to look at what is is the levels and how do we support our people to be able to work them and strive them towards that state. It's about bringing joy or, or understanding what is joy for you or what brings you joy and as a person and in that workspace. When we think about happiness, you know, talk about being in the present, but 
we we can't just be in what we might say as happy land all the time because we do need to understand what happened in the past and we do need to yep. utilize that that historical information to ensure we don't make the same mistakes again and we do need to look into the future and uh, try and set a at least plot where our path may go to a certain extent otherwise we could miss out on opportunities and, or we could continue to make the same mistakes we always have. So being in that that kind of striving for happiness space, how do we ensure that when we are speaking about the future or we are referencing the past, that it doesn't take people into spaces that may affect their happiness and joy in their work? Yeah, beautiful. So I don't think anyone could truly be happy if they don't feel like they're pulled forward by a, a vision of the future, that they're inspired by and excited by because that's what's going to get them doing the things in the right now. It's about trying to get the psychological safety that we're not worried about the future. We're inspired by the future. And we can do that by creating clarity and certainty about where we're going. We can create the safety, the psychological safety, by having feedback loops that are designed to not be personal and to be about recognising what, what is real and what has happened and looking at um, removing the emotion of the person out of the task, mm. um, being able to have those open conversations, be able to go and take ownership and go, okay, cool, where were we at cause in this? Without blame, where were we at cause? And what do we do about it? Where's the lesson and the blessing mm. in it? And so when we can feel safe to look back and go, okay, hand up, kind of dropped the ball on that one, didn't we? Me, maybe I dropped the ball. I had own one last week. I'm like, oh, I completely, I forgot that with having my assistant off uh, that and she was in hospital and everything that there was a couple of things that she did herself that needed to be done for a client. I thought it was automated. I just completely dropped the ball and I dropped the ball on the client. So I literally just, you know, go, okay, i got to own that. I dropped the ball. But I know I'm safe with them because they're like, okay, what are you going to do about it? Like mm. you've owned it. You're not trying to sweep it under the rug. You've not like pretended it didn't happen. So they don't have fear in the future that I'm going to mess up because they know that we're going to go, okay, what's the process we now put in place to, to stop that? We go, okay, cool, great, look at it, look at it head on, make up a new process and a system, own it, deal with it. We don't beat each other up about it. And so if if a leader can do that with their team and it's not about um, beating people up and making them feel bad and, you know, attacking their um, their sorry i've got series going off uh not attacking who they are as a human right then they don't have to get stuck ruminating on it they just go cool learn it move on mm. same about the future we know what the boundaries are we know what the goals are we know with certainty what my responsibilities are i know i can ask for help if i'm going to need it and who to go to cool i don't need to freak out um, one of the things that, like when we talk about this in clarity is around what we know, what we don't know, and then what's the next action and keeping it really, really simple. And that, as you say, that, that will then take the anxiety levels down because people have clarity on where we're sitting, what we know and what we don't know, but then also what action you're going to take. And that is so, so important in regards to leaders. And we saw those during COVID, the ones who were successful or the ones who did that really well, the ones who, yeah were very vague, a lost kind of the, 
the support of their team or the confidence of their team to mm. to actually be able to get through it in a way. Yeah. Now, in regards to uh, from a from a happy point of view, now that we're you know you're doing a lot of work online and you talk about how you bring that up, if you've got a bigger company, you know, say say you've got a hundred thousand staff company mm-hmm. you know, or even a even a thousand staff company as the ceo you're not going to get to spend much time with every single person in that organization you might be lucky to meet each person once a year um if yep. you're if you're working if really that. damn hard yeah <laughs> so, so how does how do, do how do we get leaders of those bigger companies that have a, a greater scope um of, of people to look after to ensure that things like happiness that things like vision and culture are translated through the company really, really well. Yeah. I I call this creating the culture code. And I think a lot of bigger organizations, they used to have their vision, mission, values. And I love that you were like, don't go, don't go values anymore. I go virtues because I think everyone has their own definition of a value and a virtue is something you strive towards as as by virtue you strive towards a virtue and I think it's it's up to that leadership team so it's up to that CEO to sit with the people that are face-to-face and on the call front with their people and go what are the behaviors that we are going to model for everyone and and when someone doesn't align with that they get gone right you don't allow the people leading your people to not model the behaviors that is acceptable. So it's your job as the CEO to to coach your next level and to coach them to coach their next level in terms of the behaviors that are okay and to call it out and to call it out with honesty when when it doesn't get fall when it doesn't go through. Don't don't sweep things under the rug like your people see through all the rubbish like if you like move someone on and say it was because of whatever reason that's absolutely rubbish you've got to name things for what it is and you've got to say we like we didn't tolerate that or they chose like often when we redo a culture so often I come in and I burn an old culture to the ground and we phoenix a new right we lose people and that's okay because some people go do you know what that's not I can't I can't roll in like that every day it's not for me and it's okay to say do you know what they've chosen that this value doesn't lie with them or they're not inspired to live this way every day and we're going to part company And that sends a massive message. So I think as a CEO, the thing you need to remember is everything you you walk past, you permit. So everyone that you is a high performer but isn't culture aligned is eating away at your culture because if you're allowing them to stay because they're high performance, their team performs well but they are against what your company stands for and what you want the culture to be, then you're saying, actually, I say this, but we allow that. Mm. So it's your job to to get across and go, right, what are those behaviours that we want modelled? Who are our people that need to lead this? And are they integrity in integrity, acting in integrity with that? And the, so you've got to spend time with your your leaders so that they can spend time and, and let that water fall down to the rest of the, the troops and show up and make sure that every time you show up, you're showing up in authentic alignment to whatever those mantras are, values are, and you own you own your stuff up. You own where you've been out. Like just be honest. Mm. 
the future of business uh where do you think it's going what do you think are going to be the changes that we're going to see over the next 10 years i mean we've seen a massive amount of change in the last couple are we going to see it continually evolve at the at such a rapid state or are we going to see it settle a lot more in the way that we lead organizations and and how we do work well, I'd love to say I'm a futurist that could predict that sort of stuff, but I am not that person. Uh, I think there's an opportunity, though. So I think, obviously, with the world of, like, AI and what's happening right now, like, things are just changing so rapidly that it's just it's absolutely mind-blowing. It can be really, it can be quite confrontational as well. But I think where the opportunity is, I, I say that uh, the fate of humanity rests on the shoulders of emerging businesses and on on business leaders and i believe it's our opportunity as leaders to put the human back into the human resources to to really start to reconnect to how we can connect on a human level and how we can bring that into our everyday work because i like i said before i think that's where the the businesses are going to stand out some people will get the fast growth and they'll get exponential money and they'll boom by leveraging technology and all of these things. But I think eventually they'll crash. And, you know, this is where we see unicorns pop out of nowhere and they ride that high, but then they completely implode or disintegrate, right? And if you want to go for a quick cash grab, okay, well, maybe that's going to work for you. But if you want to see this through, you need to look at how do we really turn up the dial on the human aspect because that's what's going to give us the longevity not only with our customers but with our employees and I think that the the people that put the thinking into how do we use this as our secret source is going to see something absolutely unbelievable on the back end but honestly I think as leaders it's it's our responsibility to go the state of humanity right do you want to play into you know, laying off everyone and just relying on computers? Do you want to stop teaching communication skills? Do you want to stop teaching empathy? Do you want to stop having human-to-human con- contact? Is that is that what you want you your legacy to be? Do you want your kids to grow up in that? And if that's if you don't, then you need to do something every single day to make a difference with your team. Yeah, I like that. Actually, I'm just thinking here that uh, the one thing that I'd love removed from uh, corporate world right now is chatbots. Um, you can remove yeah. them 100%. It is just because we can doesn't mean we should with them. I think they mm-hmm. are, yeah. Infuriating? Uh, yeah, and and also <laughs> reducing the value of humanity and, and that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's something you could reduce from the, the corporate world, what would you remove that has been maybe added in in your lifetime? Oh, wonderful question. Uh, what would I remove that's been added? Um, making performance, freaking performance reviews. And the word performance reviews piss me off. Uh, I probably should have checked at the beginning about the swearing. Uh, I like to call them mission reflection sessions. And like, how are you affecting, like, how are you going with your mission in your role that's impacting where we're going? And let's reflect and um, and let's let's look at that and go, okay, what can we learn from it? And it's, again, about the human and the everything else that's layering behind the performance of that person, not just the numbers and looking at data so i would abolish performance reviews as they are standardized in a 
uh, organization. I've replaced them with alignment to the company's virtues, habits, behaviors, routines, and reflect on how there is a match between the people, the role, and the mission, uh, and what we can do to work with them to move that forward instead. Mm. I like that. I think that's really good. Uh, what What do you think is going to be outside of happiness? What do you think is going to be the most crucial thing for leaders to grasp uh, as they navigate the next five to ten years? Psychological safety. So you don't get to you don't get to happiness without psychological safety, and it's the bottom. When I talk about my seven human needs of peak performing employees, well being is the first foundation, and you don't get well being without. Like if you've got to look at the psychological safety, you make your people feel safe and that might mean you have to help them with their shit outside of work so that their brain can feel safe when they're working. You work on that level, then you're going, that's where where you unlock the potential of your team. Uh, Interesting. All right. I love psychological safety and building permission, but I'm going to challenge you here a little bit here. First impressions have a massive impact on whether you build permission or psychological safety. And mm-hmm. when we've got new people coming into an organization, how do we actually control the psychological safety? Because this each person doesn't come in the same way. There no. can be so many different things going on in an organization. There could be different people that are onboarding someone. I'm... Um, how do we try and mitigate the risk of affecting uh, the safety of someone who's turning up to a new organization? Wow, it's so funny. I literally was just writing a model just a moment ago on zero to one. So from when they make the offer to the first day and then how passing probation and first impressions count. And like it is that first moment in the organization that that layers so I think it's about an organization, like no matter how big or small you are, but you have a process that from day dot makes someone feel significant, makes them feel safe, ask the questions, allow them and create that feedback loop from the, from the get-go. The majority of the psychological safety comes to asking better questions and having real feedback loops without judgment right? And you can create your processes throughout to do that. So if you start that from what well, should be done in the interview process, but from day dot from offer to start, what do you do in that meantime to like start creating connection? And then the first day, that first minute, you need to make them feel significant. They're not going to be psychologically safe if they're not significant. You turn up, you're like, oh, just here, here's a handbook, read that. I, I'm busy. I've got meetings, like computers not even plugged in, like sit over there. I don't feel safe. I feel like I can be here or not here. It doesn't really matter, right? If I don't feel like I can ask questions and it's okay for me to say, do you know what? My learning style, I'm dyslexic as an ADHD. So like throwing me a handbook, you might as well just drive a truck over me because we ain't getting nowhere. But if I can say, hey, that's not my learning style. That's not how, like my thinking and action dynamic, not like this. I need someone to talk to me or I need to show, I need to, like if I feel like I can communicate some, because someone has said to me, hey, what's your learning style? How, what's the best way to teach you something? Or is there anything you struggle with? And what do we need to know when we're, when we're training you? Oh, you, I can have a voice and I can feel safe to say, right. do you know what? Sometimes 
words don't come out in the right order for me. <laughs> and I can tell you that and you're not going to like think I'm stupid. Great. So they're the types of things, just those conversations at the very beginning that starts to create that, that level of safety and anyone in the organization can do that. The minute you've got someone say, I don't have time for that or read a book or like read the handbook or just brushes someone off, once you've got a behavior of brushing off, then you, you're you're up against it. Mm, I like this. Uh, okay, I, 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 we're going to be getting close to the end of this interview. So I'm going to shift into one, one last area before we kind of dive into the final questions. Uh, gratitude. Gratitude um, goes beyond just saying thank you or just saying you're awesome. Uh, what is gratitude and why does it need to be a two-way street? Mm, attitude of gratitude. Uh, yeah, you need to have the attitude of gratitude. And so I, I literally had a conversation with a, a client not too long ago. He's like, bloody guys, aren't grateful at all. I did this and I changed that in the workshop and I blah, 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 blah. Like, firstly, did they ask for any of that stuff? So do they even know that they're supposed to be grateful? Are they going to be grateful because did it matter to them? Or, you know, and I said, I they say I have a fluffy baseball bat. I like to get people in the right direction with a little bit of love. And I'm like, you are so ungrateful right now. Like, I haven't heard you tell me once how grateful you are that those guys show up for you every single day and make you money. And you went, ooh, that one didn't have fluff on it. That you just hit me with the bat. I'm like, yes, but I gave you beer at the same time, so it doesn't, so it counts, right? But it's, you've got to look at things differently. Like your people are giving you the most precious resource they have in their entire life that they can never get back, their time. And in most corporates and most roles, right, we give more hours to the job than we do anything else really combined, right? So how about, how about just a little bit of like attitude of gratitude for the fact that they show up and a little bit of ownership over if they're not giving you what you expect and they are not performing how you want them to perform, where are you at cause? Did you give clarity and certainty? Did you train them how they needed to be trained? Are you making them feel significant? Did you inspire them? Did you ask them how the hell they feel or are they battling like an illness and they're just turning up because they're scared to get fired, right? Where were you at cause to to really to look at that? And when you've thought about that and then you can be grateful that actually this person has chosen us out of all the places they can choose because guess what? People can work anywhere these days. You can get make bucks just taking photos on Instagram and putting an AI filter over it. They don't even have to be pretty. They make you pretty, right? So you should be you. Gone are the days of like people need desperate for a job and they should be lucky to get a paycheck. Like they, people can choose to be anywhere. Be grateful they've chosen either your organization because of their vision, you as a leader, whatever it is. And when you shift that energy, it will radiate from you, and that is when you'll get it back because your face. You've heard of a resting bitch face, right? I've seen, uh, I, I also say the F off face when someone's walking around, like you're like, oh yeah, I uh -huh. no, but if you've got the F off face on, they can read it. So when we actually step in and 
if you're struggling, step, stop as a leader and go in the morning, right, what's one thing I can be grateful for about my team? What's one thing I can be grateful for about that person? And just by putting that lens on it, your energy will shine to them and they'll feel it. You've got so much energy. I love this. Uh, <laughs> great conversation so far. Uh, we all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. Oh. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Uh, on the weekend, and I'm not telling you what. Uh, the thing that I will tell you, <laughs> I really pushed myself outside of a comfort zone on the weekend. Um, but at Easter, I went rock climbing on a cliff. So I'd been, I'd done like team building rock climbing inside before, but my friends took me to the Blue Mountains. It was blowing an absolute gale. Like we're on a cliff face. We're like almost getting blown off. It was crazy. And they're like, they're like, you're going to climb up there. And I'm like, they're like, don't worry. I'm going to put you on the harness. They're like, step me into the thing. And I'm like, sure. Uh, And I was like, I've broken every finger on my hands, except for my left thumb. I'm like, my fingers aren't going to grip. Like I have all this stuff going on and I'm going to get blown off a cliff. But we we didn't get all the way up the wall, but we got a bit up the wall. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What a great weekend uh, over <laughs> Easter. What is the one question that you would love to solve? Oh, the one question that I would love to solve My brain goes to like, like real out there sort of things in terms of, um, I don't know if it's solving it. It's more about helping people realize that you, you know, yes, you only have one, uh, you're only in this meat suit for this one timeline right now, right? So make the best of it. But also, I believe that we're souls here having a human experience. And so, you know, there is this isn't this isn't just it. So don't take it so seriously. So if I was to form that into one question I'd love to solve, the question would be, how do we how do we help humans to be happy? I love it. <laughs> I love it. What is an inspiring great leader to you? And who is a great example of this? Okay, so an inspiring great leader to me, this will circle back to what we talked about before. They're curious, right? They're curious. They seek to do better. They challenge the status quo. When they know better, they do better. So it's not about being perfect. It's not about being the best leader ever, but it's about going, how can I be the best leader ever? How can I be the best human what do I what do I do to up level? How do I take ownership? They take ownership, right? They live in integrity to their word and they act as they wish to be seen. So they don't want to be this seen as this person. They actually act that way. Um, so I think there's like the the growth mindset, the things like that. I'm not about positive, uh, toxic positivity, about always saying that, about they are authentic with their word. Like, I'm having a tough day, guys. Just going to own that, let you know, right? They're able to own their own energy and emotion and communicate clearly. Um, And I would say an amazing example of that would be um, 
Actually, one of my client, one of the clients that I coach, their operations manager, compliance and operations manager. Uh, I've been working with him for a couple of years, and his growth is unbelievable. And the way he holds himself and and layers all that into the way he uh, leads is absolutely just for me. I just wish we had every leader would take that ownership and that growth. So I'll give a shout out to Adam um, for that. Yeah. Beautiful. Jade, look, you've been uh, wonderful to listen to. I I look forward to more conversations in the future. Uh, How can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? Yay. Okay, beautiful. So the best way to connect with me and probably to learn about what I do because we're talking about it on there all the time is jump onto LinkedIn. Uh, my handle is Jade Green AU. So just the, my full name, AU at the end for Australia, is my social media handle on everything. So if you want to find me anywhere, just Jade Green AU. And our website is jadegreen.com.au. That's way easier than getting people to try and find the company website because spelling. <laughs> uh, keeping it simple. Jay, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, which has gone in all sorts of different directions, but the core to that has been around happiness. And you have a beautiful smile, and I'm sure that radiated through the airwaves of those listening. Uh, And some of you may get to see some snippets of the recording as well. Uh, What I loved is the fact that you keep things really simple and easy for people to understand. But for leaders of the future, we need to ensure we're continuously building that psychological safety that we think about uh, onboarding as ongoing in a way where you're not just bringing them in the door on day one, having a quick meeting and throwing them the book and uh, walking away and praying that they're actually going to do what they need to and fit into the culture. It's a constant, it's constant work to make sure we connect uh, and be focused more on the person than the position so that we can truly have a great impact on their lives and also for them to have a great impact on your life and the company that you're leading. So thank you very much for an enjoyable conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it and all the best for your next big move and exciting adventure that is coming up. So thank you. Uh, Thank you so much. This was heaps of fun, Craig. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders Movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to hashtag inspiring great leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next inspiring great leaders podcast where the ordinary don't belong.